What are some important skills that are helpful while doing postgraduate training? What is the trend in academia as biostatistics gets more and more competitive? How to navigate career choice between industry and academia? Dr. Jinjin will answer all these questions for you. Jinjin received her PhD in biostatistics from the University of Minnesota, and now works as an assistant professor of biostatistics at the University of Pennsylvania in Department of Biostatistics, Epidemiology, and Informatics. With a research focus on integrating large-scale datasets to address cutting-edge problems in public health medicine, she deals with complex issues such as health equity in disease risk prediction, statistical genetics, and Bayesian hierarchical models for high-dimensional data. Let's dive into this episode and see what Jinjin has shared with us. Hi, Professor Jin. Welcome to our Bell Statistics podcast. It's great to have you with us here. I'm happy to have this interview. Awesome. Uh, So can you tell us a bit about your background and how you became interested in biostatistics? Uh, Yeah, sure. So I would say that my background is kind of typical for the people, like especially Chinese students in in statistics and biostatistics field. Um, So I'm originally from China. Um, I did my undergrad study uh, back in China, uh, in the University of Science and Technology of China, and uh, like majoring uh, in math first and then statistics uh, for third and fourth year. So uh, I guess I'm always, I'm always interested. I've always been interested in math, but I also know that I don't just want to work on like math theories and math problems, um, but instead I want to actually like um, focus on problem solve solving in the real world setting. So, um, so math and statistics, these like the like some these theories I learn and methods I learn from uh, like the different courses are just uh, tools to me. So, um, and also because of like personal reasons, um, I've always been interested in uh, conducting research in the fields of public health and medicine. And uh, so I think biostatistics is a very good fit for me. And that's why in 2014, uh, I came to the States uh, for a PhD program in biostatistics. So I got my PhD in 2019 from the University of Minnesota. Um, but like during that five years of PhD training, actually my research focused on uh, prostate cancer diagnosis using structural MRI data. So the reason I worked on that topic was uh, not because uh, I chose it, but because so like actually at that time, my mentor came to my advisor came to me and asked, oh, um, are you interested in working on this topic? Um, because he had a grant on that topic at that time. So that's why like, I was like, OK, yeah, I can explore in this direction first. But I gradually gradually realized that uh, there are so many different topics you can explore in biostatistics. Um, and they a lot of them sound very interesting to me. So um, also at that time, I was not sure whether or not I want to work in academia or uh, just working like industry, like because for biostat students, a lot of them, especially the ones in PhD program, they end up working like big pharmaceutical companies. So that's why I actually did two interns, 
one uh, in an insurance company called Liberty Mutual, and the other one in a pharmaceutical, a French pharmaceutical company called uh, Sanofi. Uh, but actually, these two intern projects are not very, uh, are actually very different from what they're doing, uh, like the, the full-time employees do. Uh, so they don't do a lot of research because it's just like it's a company. So they uh, need to work on different projects, but those like following some uh, existing pipelines, especially for pharmaceutical companies. So for me, I was lucky because uh, both intern projects were actually research projects. I actually published two papers from the second one in the pharmaceutical company on uh, early phase clinical trial design. So um, uh, these two projects actually made me uh, realize that I'm definitely a lot more interested in continuing like doing research compared to actually working in the like uh, industry uh, environment. Yeah, so that's why I uh, actually applied for postdoc positions after I finished my PhD and went to Dr. Nilanjan Chatterjee's group at Hopkins, at Johns Hopkins, um, and had my postdoc training in their group. So what I did in that group was um, basically like a statistical genetics and disease risk prediction models related topics. Yeah, so this is what I've been doing in the last like maybe uh, nine, 10 years and how I became interested in bio, like doing research in the biostatistics fields. I see. Um, so I guess you work in researching both academia and the pharma industry. Yeah. What would you say are the differences between these two, I guess, cultures in terms of research? Oh, in terms of research. Well, uh, if you think about it, uh, so if I can just give like an, one example. So if you work in the research group in a pharmaceutical company, um, they actually have research and development uh, division. So, which is very different from the clinical groups. So basically there are two things you can do. One is you can help uh, people from other groups like clinical groups to solve some problems. Um, and the second thing you can do is if you have time, uh, you actually have the freedom to work on some research projects. Like if you have an idea, um, you can hire summer interns and publish papers. But the thing is, you're still working in a company. So the research is definitely not the their focus. It's kind of like a, a, a service. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. um, the research topics you're working on are definitely very closely related to the company's mission. Like for example, if they want to do some, like to conduct some uh, trials, like for example, some early phase trials, sometimes they will actually develop their own like trial design and they use it. So your research will be closely related to what they want to do. Not It's not like you can work on anything you want. So you don't have a lot of freedom uh, and the topics are limited, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but if you're working academia, uh, so it depends on what kind of positions uh, you have. So for example, for me, because like um, I, I'm in a, like a tenure track position. So, and it's also in school of medicine. So what the expectation for your research is that uh, th there are two parts. One part is you can work on any topic you, you want, like at least like as long as they're uh, related to like public health and medicine, 
But uh, another part is you have to, it's not you have to, but uh, it's, it will be great. Like it's kind of like one of the things that they expect uh, for you to do like when they evaluate you, like it's like a, uh, for, for your tenure. So they will want you to collaborate with people in other fields in medicine or public health. And you actually solve uh, like some very important scientific questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, the kind of topics you can work on is a lot more broad compared to what you can work on in industry. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, like for example, for me, uh, I kind of changed my focus several times from PhD program to postdoc uh, and to now, uh, mm-hmm. like after I finished all my training. So I feel that I can work on, like it's almost like I can work on anything I want, any topic I want, as mm-hmm. long as uh, I can, you know, like have some like interesting results to show and to publish. So yeah, yeah. So I think this is the main difference. I see. Well, that makes sense because, as I guess, as someone in academia, you have a lot more flexibility and freedom yes. to do whatever research you want. Um, I think yeah. you mentioned. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but I want to add one more thing. So, uh, if you work in a company, you don't need to worry about funding. Uh, you're paid That's to true. do the research you you want to do. But yeah, but in in academia, it depends. Like if you're in the statistics department, uh, most of the time, like maybe 99% of the positions are hard money positions. So you don't need to worry about uh, like applying for grants. But in biostatistics, uh, most of the like the the departments, like they actually expect you to support like a certain percent per, percent of your uh, own salary. So for example, at Penn, Biostat, they expect that you can support 75 to 80% of your salary by applying for funding. And for some, uh, for, for, for some places, they actually, like for example, um, NYU and Columbia and here, uh, also like Duke and Yale, they expect that you uh, apply for like R1 grants. Those are like big grants that are not very easy to get. So you have a lot of pressure. It's not like you have, you. it's not just that you have more freedom compared to working industry, but in academia, you also have more pressure <laughs> in getting money and like, um, yeah, yeah, all sorts of things. So it's, it is very, very different, but I, I guess it's, you can say it's a more challenging environment. <laughs> I see. Yeah, yeah. So the freedom comes with price. <laughs> right. I guess you win some, you lose some. Yeah. In some sense. Um, I guess one of my questions is you mentioned um, both when you talked about your doc, uh, PhD training, uh, PhD experience and postdoc experience, you mentioned um, the training part. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess I'm more interested in what do you think are the skills that you gain from these training experiences and what do you think will be the most like, important ones? Oh, that's a good question. So I guess, uh, so for from PhD program, I I guess I was not hardworking enough because at that time I thought um, I would just like work in a pharmaceutical company after I graduate because, so this is a long story, but the reason I decided to work in industry at first was because during the first semester, like in my first year, mm-hmm. um, I actually had had a, like I worked with a, like a faculty in our department who is not uh, my PhD advisor actually. So we worked on a project that it turned out that it actually didn't work. Mm-hmm. 
so <laughs> so that experience was not a very it, it's it's not just that the we didn't uh like like the 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 idea didn't work out it's also that um that experience made me feel like um i didn't have enough potential or like talent to work in academia so yeah so from that i think after that semester i kind of decided to okay i just like uh um don't fail <laughs> on exams and don't like do too terribly on research so i think during the first e three years in, P in my phd program i didn't actually like focus on uh like gaining more skills and knowledge and uh reading papers but that actually is something i want to like share with the audience like the students and uh, other people in our field or who are interested in our field so um don't doubt yourself, even if the first project was not successful, um, because the first several years in your training is the most important time, like period, because at that time you had a lot more time compared to later, like uh, when you're in your fourth or fifth year, you're uh, trying to find an intern internship and you're applying for jobs. And then after you graduate, you probably will do a postdoc. So at that time, it would be more and more busy. So I guess the th first three years was like the a very good time for you to like to read papers. I think read papers is, is very important and try to uh, learn like different maybe software. <laughs> I think for me, um, I had to like, it depends on what kind of projects you're working on. So for me, because um, at that time I didn't work on very, very big, like data. So I think R is enough, but uh, during my postdoc training, so I started working on like genetics data. So that is a, a lot larger than the data I used to work on, like the MRI data. So uh, basically it's it would be great if you can uh, like learn like C++ or like Java, mm -hmm. um, those languages. Yeah, yeah. so um, in terms of what I learned, uh, like what I learned from my training. I think for my PhD uh, training, um, because my advisor, like my, I have two advisors, but my like, uh, uh, like my advice, so advisor and co-advisor. So my advisor was, uh, uh, my advisor is American. So, um, and he's very social. He's very good at selling his ideas. Mm -hmm. So I think I kind of learned from him uh, about like communication, and uh, English writing, like scientific writing. Uh, this is actually very important because um, I have worked with students during my postdoc and now, and I feel like uh, some students are very good at doing math and figuring out the algorithm and methods, but they're very, it's they're struggling with explaining things and try to introducing their idea or like explaining idea to the audience like who are probably not a hundred percent sure uh, or very familiar with the field so this is a very important skill like to uh, like uh, like scientific writing is very important so I think like um, if if you have the uh, opportunity you should definitely talk to your advisor uh, actually one um, another faculty who helped me a lot was like uh, not my advisor he just voluntarily helped me 
edit my writing. So I used it to write very long sentences and he helped me with like, um, like how to say things clearly, but with shorter <laughs> sentences. Yeah, so I guess these are very important, but you probably think these are not um, very important, but it is it is actually very important. Yeah. Um, so what I learned from postdoc training was, um, I, th I think um, like how to come up with ideas, like research ideas. So, so my postdoc mentor is very, um, he's really cares about his trainees. So sometimes he'll just like, we'll just discuss about stuff. And then he, you can, you can observe from his, like how he thinks of like different, like potential topics we can work on and how to decide which one is more like how to prioritize different projects. Yeah, so I I guess postdoc training is not just about uh, like the technical stuff. It's more about how to become a PI and become independent. Yeah, so yeah, I guess that's what I learned <laughs> from my postdoc. Those are very good, I guess, experience from you and advice for future students or potentially people who are interested. And I do think I... For my master's program, my I had a practicum project with a, a local hospital in Toronto. Uh, mm -hmm. And my supervisor back then, I just think she's extremely good at communication skills. She's mm. really good at, as you said, like selling her ideas, selling her research. Yeah, um, that's very important. <laughs> and then making people actually interested in her research. And I think that's yeah. just insane skills to learn. I don't know how much I learned, but hopefully <laughs> some of them. Um, so yeah, you, yeah. yeah, thank you for sharing that. And you also <laughs> mentioned that you worked on a lot of topics. So I'm curious, which one do you think was the most interesting one and which one are you the most interested in at the moment? Oh, uh, <laughs> it's actually hard to answer. Let me see. So um, I guess the one I think was the most interesting, like the one I already finished uh, was uh, the one project I started working on in early 2020, um, uh, COVID-19, like uh, like developing risk prediction models for the U.S. population for their um, like the risk of like mortality due to COVID-19. So the reason we started working on that project was because um, so if you remember uh, in early 2020. Um, so uh, there were there was no large scale data sources in the U.S. that can can be used to develop this kind of risk prediction model. But at that time, it's this kind of model is very important because of several reasons. And like first, um, like the general population, like people want to know what is their risk of like uh, dying from COVID or getting infected um, with with COVID. Um, but this kind of thing is is not it's not easy to quantify. Um, but it it is very critical because people want to know like whether or not uh, it's safe enough uh, to walk to 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 walk out of their apartment, right? Or like it's not just like uh, in like early twenty twenty. It's also like maybe at the end of twenty twenty. There's still not a know that kind of model like risk prediction model. 
And the second reason it's important is because um, at that time there was not a lot of like, it's not like everyone can get vaccinated. So people had like, so the government had to prioritize uh, like the, 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 the population like who will get vaccinated first, like the high risk population to identify and uh, the, this population. So this kind of like risk prediction tools can be useful for the like uh, for, for the government or like the policymakers um, in that sense. Uh, but unfortunately, there was no large scale data sources, especially like individual level data in the US that can be used to train this kind of model. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so the only data we have uh, like people can get as easy to get access to. I don't know if you remember it's from Hopkins. Like JHU uh, has like a data hub that like they collect the data daily, like uh, the the number of deaths infected, this kind of data. But this is like a you can say it's like a community or like population level data. You don't have information on each individual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what we did was we actually develop a like a data integration framework. They can be used to, to develop this kind of develop and to calibrate a risk prediction model uh, for COVID nineteen mortality for the U.S. population using like into like aggregating data from um, like a very large scale study um, in the U.K. So they have individual level data mm-hmm. on about I remember seventeen million people, um, and then like we also in- in, uh, like integrate information from um, like summary level data and community and population level data from the US, uh, not just like the JHU data, but also uh, some like um, like from NHIS, Enhance uh, and U, uh, USCS, the, the, the other data sources. So what we did was we were trying to uh, use the information um, from another population like UK, and then we calibrate the, the model trained based on that data set. So we also don't have access to the individual level data there. We only have the estimated hazard ratio for uh, like potential risk factors for the UK population. And then we calibrate this model with the US data. And then we also additionally like combine this, like this model. So this is kind of like an individual level model because uh, we are actually, uh, aggregating information on the individual risk factor, like age, gender, and comorbidities, um, behavioral factors, th- these factors with the with like risk projection model uh, in the US. So do you remember like there are a lot of uh, models that can be used to, to pre- predict the death rate on the state or city level? So those models, uh, in- they incorporate information on state or a city like or just like community level risk factors like uh, mobility patterns um population density except and like um, lockdown policy so those information so basically we aggregated information from all different kinds of like data sources sources we we can we can get access to and then we develop this model for the u.s population so this is the part we developed the risk prediction model but before we can actually publish it uh, or like or um, publish our like uh, risk prediction tool online. We need to validate the performance. Right. So we, um, but still, like we don't have individual level data in the U.S. So what we did was we used like city level and county level data, uh, death data, and the data on like 
the risk uh, risk factors we included in our model to validate the performance of our model on the U.S. population, uh, and then we we realized that it actually has a high power, um, and it's well calibrated. Uh, so I, I will skip the details, but basically uh, after that, we then know, okay, we can publish this model so that people can use the tool. So yeah, so actually it turns out that uh, over like, I don't remember it's about like maybe 2 million uh, users. Oh, mm -hmm. I, it's not 2 million users, but like the tool uh, has been accessed like uh, by like, like maybe 2 million times. <laughs> like, so I think people are definitely uh, using this tool. So which means that like we are doing something helpful for, mm -hmm. for the pandemic, like during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So that's the reason I think it's a very important project because um, first it's, it's like a real world problem. It's not just like we just work on some uh, statistical theories or methods, but also we need to think about a lot of like problems. Um, for example, missing data and how to make use of existing data source. Uh, yeah, also we uh, have to collaborate with um, like a company to develop the, like the risk projection maps. Also mm -hmm. we, worked with several like health um, institutes, uh, not just in the US, but also a one like, I think it's called Pan American Health Organization. So we also uh, like developed and validated the tool for several countries in South America. So I think this is a very interesting club collaboration with people from other fields. Mm -hmm. um, also, it's not just a, like about like writing a paper, to, to publish our method. It's also about actually developing tools that can actually be used uh, like a user-friendly tool. Um, it can actually impact people's lives. <laughs> so I think this is a very important and interesting project I worked on. Mm -hmm. yeah. well, it sounds very meaningful for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so in terms of the uh, one project, I think, I think it's interesting that I'm currently working on. I guess it's kind of like a, something that's motivated, partially motivated by this like COVID-19 project. Mm -hmm. So yeah, because um, currently I, like a major part of my research is focusing on like developing statistical methods and tools for uh, for like constructing risk prediction models uh, for different human traits and diseases, but integrating information from diverse sources. So like I mentioned, so uh, like ideally you want to have individual level data for a sample from the target population. But in reality, most of the time you don't have this kind of um, data. But like with uh, like with more and more data available, like from large consortia and uh, like data coordinating centers, so we will have more and more information on uh, like the new potential, like new risk factors or new findings on the existing risk factors for a lot of diseases. Um, so the thing is like, we always see like one paper publish uh, some result from one study, like small study, and people are doing like different groups are doing their own studies, uh, uh, doing their own research using their own data sets. But the thing is how to aggregate information from different studies. Uh, also another thing is, for example, if we work on one day, if we focus on one disease, it's like some study like GWAS, like genome-wide association studies, will focus on genetic variants, risk factors. And some other studies may focus on behavioral or environmental exposures. So it's not like every study has individual level information on all risk factors. So how do we 
um, integrate information from different studies, but maybe each study has a different subset of risk factors. So yeah, how to how to do this kind of data integration? Um, it's I think it's very important, also very interesting because there are a lot of like technical difficulties for some specific problems. Like for example, for some models, maybe we we will want to include high dimensional biomarkers. Uh, and maybe only a few of them are informative, like maybe only a few of them are uh, significantly associated with the disease outcome, or uh, what is the outcome, like maybe some survival out outcome or longitudinal outcome, or yeah, so, so there are some like a, a lot of different things you can do in this field, but it's like an understudied field. So I think there are a lot of opportunities for us to develop com comprehensive models uh, for this kind of disease risk prediction uh purpose yeah i see so i guess from my understanding you're saying the integration or i guess aggregation of the data from different sorts of data set um, mm -hmm. is very important it's an open um, yeah. research area um, mm -hmm. thank you for sharing all the interesting projects that you worked on and you're thinking about um i'm also personally interested in when you're talking about risk prediction model um do you mainly use the parametric model um so far, or are there any non-parametric models you've tried? Uh, I think for me, yeah, uh, you can say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like mainly, like, yeah, so most of the, um, yeah, most of the models are regression-based models. And uh, yeah, or like we use some um, like moment estimators. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, because for me, I'm um, like personally, I'm not very familiar with uh, non-parametric models. I think I've, yeah, I have used like Dirichlet process, but yeah, but not on this topic, like for some other projects. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, so far, uh, mostly parametric models. I see. Well, I guess it will be interesting if you, um, I guess, build a more comprehensive data framework and then you could apply number mesh models on it if anyone yeah, 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 in the audience definitely. is interested yeah it's definitely yeah it's definitely a possibility <laughs> yeah well but thank you for sharing um mm -hmm. i guess another question of mine is after working on all these projects and being in i guess industry for a little bit and then coming back to academia how do you think biostatistics research will evolve in the coming years and what new developments or innovations do you see on the horizon Mm. So you mean in general, like not just in academia, but like academia and industry or? I guess we'll focus on the research part, the academia part um, for now. Okay. Uh, yeah. So um, I think like maybe several years ago, like when I was in my undergrad or PhD program, there were a lot of research in statistics and biostatistics field that uh, just mainly basically focus on just the statistical theories or methods, but actually there were no tools or like software or like um, maybe packages or like our packages uh, that was like provided along with the methods that people can actually use. So for example, if you see some interesting ideas in a paper, the idea is the only thing you can use. Like if you want to actually uh, solve some problems, you have to uh, develop your own version of the method and then write your own code, uh, develop your own like package that that's very common. But I think now, like in the last several years, one thing I observe 
uh, which totally makes sense is that um, I think that one trend in our field is that instead of only like instead of focusing on a very small part or one step of an algorithm, mm -hmm. uh, I think now people are interested more in the actual like scientific questions. So statistical theory and methods are always important, but now I think they emphasize more on like uh, the, in the sense of like data science, not just like, for example, some, some departments, they actually change their name from statistics to like statistics and data science, because they kind of want to focus more on like, how do we solve the actual problem with the data we have and with more, with new technologies emerging, there are more and more types of data sources uh, we uh, that we can get access to. So that will lead to the evolution of uh, like algorithms and methods and computational tools. So for example, like in single cell or spatial transcriptomics field, um, once like a new type of data or, uh, a, but the data with higher, like a higher resolution data uh, like um, becomes available. Actually, the, the existing methods, sometimes they just don't work anymore mm -hmm. or they work very poorly. So that gives a lot of opportunity for people to, and also it requires people to develop new tools. So I guess um, now it's just not just focusing on the, the theory or like people just derive something, but instead um, you actually need to see like more on the big picture. Like if we want to ask, how, what kind of questions we want to ask and are these questions scientific questions very important uh, and then if we want to answer this question it doesn't it's not that you can just use some existing theories or methods it's also it also, also requires that um, people from different fields like even if you're in statistics and biostatistics like maybe people like maybe if you want to do sometimes like data integration you need uh, like imaging genetics for example, you need probably need to collaborate with people who like have expertise in different topics. Mm -hmm. So it's more like collaborative and it's bec it becomes harder and harder um, because there are more and more information there. Mm -hmm. And um, it it just requires that like people in different fields collaborate together more, I guess. Yeah, so, um, but in terms of like the, uh, like, academia i mean um i realized that i'm i, I don't know if this is re relevant uh, like related to our question but i mean um in terms of what what type of research people do uh one thing i noticed was that now there are more students and postdocs that have a large number of papers like for example some students that haven't graduated yet they already have 30 papers uh, not all of them are first author papers but uh, still you it requires a lot of efforts and time right so I mean it's harder and harder to find uh, good faculty positions I guess because it's not and also like in biostatistics um, you, they always require that expect that you have worked on both method like like independent research and collaborative research so I guess this trend is, I'm not saying that um, this trend of having more and more papers is not good. It's just that I feel like now because um, the field is more and more competitive, um, just like have higher standards. So the people will have more and more papers. 
yeah, yeah. But I, I think this shouldn't be the trend for the future because you only have this much time. So if you have 50 papers versus 10 papers, it means that you don't spend, like you didn't provide much like, like input for each one of the papers. So it's just like you haven't dig, digged deep into each of the topics you worked on. Yeah, so I guess the, I, I, I don't know like how this, uh, the field will evolve uh, exactly like in the next few years but I think it's just like it seems like there are a lot of publications emerging um, and this trend is there but I mean eventually maybe like it's it's better if we can like focus on each person can focus on like one or two field and then be expert uh, at these like these few like a few fields and then people collaborate together and then uh, like identify important scientific questions and then like just try to solve them using like a, a expertise from different fields yeah yeah I guess that's what I'm thinking yeah well, that's great insight thank you I guess it's probably all also because of after COVID-19 more and more public health issues emerged oh yeah um, that could be part of the reason why but um, yeah, I guess focusing on one, I guess specific field or topic definitely will yeah, help like with don't, the depth. Of yeah, research. yeah, yeah. Even if you only work in, in one area, don't like just don't. I just don't think it's a very good idea to have too many collaborations on like too many projects at the same time. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. always like a yeah, yeah, because like the impact won't be that big if you do that. Okay. I think. Oh, um, on on like. Unless you're you're not you 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 don't mind like being like a like fifth or sixth author in like some big papers, <laughs> I think that's probably also okay. But yeah, but uh, it's not very good for your like. It depends on what you want to do. Like if you want to establish uh, as like a independent research PI uh, and have your own group, that's not a very good thing to do in the long term. But if you like doing collaborative research and just giving your own input, then that's totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right i mean i guess that's definitely very critical um <laughs> opinion that you're giving because it's both good and bad in their own way mm -hmm. i guess not bad but yeah. i guess good and not exactly good in their own way yeah <laughs> um yeah. so for i guess with that being said for students who wish to pursue a degree in biostatistics what advice mm -hmm. do you want to give them i guess in terms of um, either from the beginning of the application or when you're in the program and when you before you graduate and wrap up your thesis uh, what are some advice you want to give people oh um let me see I think um so uh we are talking about PhD program right like applying for PhD programs right I guess degree would probably cover both master's degree and PhD uh -huh. degrees because mm -hmm. oh yeah because I didn't hear you very clearly oh sorry about that uh, I yeah I just want to double check mm -hmm. uh, well yeah it depends on uh what you want to do like career-wise mm -hmm. uh, so I think master bio the master program in biostatistics covers the basics of like statistics and bio like biostatistics public health medicine uh, like different fields like uh, the required courses are I mean, like in terms of statistical theories, it doesn't have a lot of uh, like a, a requirement compared to the PhD program. But um, I guess if you want to apply for a master program in 
biostatistics is great if you have a background, like if you major in math uh, statistics uh, or uh, some public health related or medicine, like uh, like a re uh, related major. Uh, I I know like um I know some students who majored in biology or even chemistry or nutrition or um pharmacy I remember yeah so it doesn't have a very uh, it doesn't have a like a very strict requirement for your majoring undergrad but it would be great if you majoring like statistics and math related uh major uh, major um so for application i mean um it's relatively easy uh you don't need to prepare for a lot i guess like for a master program uh you as long as you do well uh, in your coursework in undergrad that's thing that you have a high chance of getting in but it definitely depends on which program you're applying for so i remember for some programs like for example here at Penn biostat they don't uh they don't uh, admit a lot of master's students every year. Um, so, but for some other programs, like um, uh, they actually will will give offers, to, like maybe like 20, 30 offers every year. So you have to do your uh, own research on like which you can ask, like um, like maybe students who are already admitted to those programs and see like, and see if they have um, suggestions because the chance of getting to the different programs is different. And it, it sometimes it doesn't, it's not uh, related to your background. It's just like, it works like that. Like for example, some some programs, they don't uh, give offers to a lot of international students. They actually have a limit on like how many offers they give to international students. Um, but I'm talking about like, but if you're already like, uh, if you do an undergrad in the US, then it's a different story. So uh, you have to do some research on that. I mean, uh, in terms of PhD program, uh, well, it's definitely helpful if you do some research in your undergrad or master program, because um, like when I was in my undergrad, uh, there were not a lot of people who like in, in, in the undergrad program that did a lot of research or yeah, yeah, but nothing now there are more and more students who have a lot of research experience when even when they're in undergrad. So for example, we have interns um, from the like different departments uh, in uh, Johns Hopkins that uh, like so they actually I remember there were several students who did like two three different projects at least two three different projects in their undergrad and actually have like one or two publications not 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 necessarily first author publications but like some co-authored publications um, during their undergrad um, that's definitely helpful if you uh, yeah so you should try to reach out to like professors uh, and see if they have summer internship or they need students to like to uh, to to work on some projects. So that's definitely helpful. And um, I guess this is the most important thing. Yeah, and also like definitely like do well uh, on your coursework mm -hmm. and uh, also explore some like some different fields like just try to understand what biostatistics is about and what kind of pro like what 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 areas you can work on in the future and if you find one interesting you can reach out to some professors in that field um yeah i guess mm -hmm. that's that's it yeah and also um for students who are 
uh, who think like career is a very important part of their life, I guess, um, you, yeah, I think, I think like the, um, the, the, the fact like the professors always like this kind of students and they, they really value a lot about their attitude, mm -hmm. not just the talent or their passion toward, uh, research. Also, if they're responsible mm -hmm. and if they're, uh, yeah, yeah, like the, uh, the, the, like their attitude toward, um, like working on the projects and communicating with faculty and with students and whether or not they can get along well with the professor and all kinds of things. That's just, it's not just about your statistical background. Uh, it has a lot of factors in it. So yeah, so, so that leads to uh, the other thing like communication is like skill is always important. Yeah, and like, um, and also it's very easy for, for like the admission community to, to tell whether or not a student is uh like really like why they want to apply why they apply for the like the 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 program whether or not they just want to get a degree and find a job or they are actually interested in this field and want to do something like to to do some research so like try to be genuine and don't lie about your background and mm -hmm. um yeah yeah like in your personal statement try to state your uh like genuine like feelings and your thoughts um because it's very easy but because we all we were all students once once so right. <laughs> yeah yeah so it's very yeah so just don't lie about anything um yeah yeah just try to try to be honest <laughs> yeah yeah that's definitely very important to be honest and those are great advice thank you mm -hmm. um those are all great insight that you just shared i think it's really encouraging to hear that you are actually doing some research that make great impact. For example, your COVID-19 project. Thanks. I think it's good news for all the people in biostatistics. Um, so which brings us to the last question I want to ask, which is actually a question that, so what is one question that you wish I would have asked and how would, it, would you have answered it? It could be anything they want to share, but I didn't ask about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh. Let me see. I guess I have one question that's probably like, uh, probably like the students or, uh, yeah, or like the people in our field will, will be interesting, is um, what type of types of positions or like jobs are there in our field, like in biostatistics? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like we kind of already talked about it a little bit earlier. <laughs> so so right, like there are different industries and academia. So in terms of academia, um, one thing I want to emphasize is that it's not just um, like earlier I said stated something like some my opinion, but now I kind of want to correct it a little bit because I don't want to make it like misleading. So um, because I'm in like uh, a tenure track faculty position, so the requirement is different, right? So we are mm -hmm. talking about what type of types of positions are there in our field. So in, uh, in academia, so the tenure track faculty position is one of them. So for this kind of position, usually the requirement is like, a, it's very complex. It requires like um, student mentoring, like mentoring like students, like PhD students, master students, undergrad students and uh, postdocs. Um, or sometimes like senior faculty will mentor junior faculty actually. And then uh, grant writing, uh, like grant application to support yourself. 
Um, this is very common, especially in uh, school of medicine. Like in school of public health, it's a little better. And then uh, like have like high impact publications and uh, do collaboration, collaborative work, not just your own independent work, like with people maybe in other fields. For It depends on what which field you're working. Like for example, um, maybe uh, people in like epidemiology, um, bio, like informatics, um, biomedical engineering, CS, like computer science, uh, and even like um, maybe like radiology uh, or genetics, genomics. So yeah, a lot of collaborations. Um, yeah, so, but there are other types of positions, for example, uh, the research track positions, or sometimes they call it a research scientist. So they their responsibility responsibilities are more on um, like it it depends like some some for some positions they are uh, they're also working on their independent research but uh, a, a a a big part of their uh, like everyday job is on supporting uh, people from other like maybe from other departments with uh, statistical analysis yeah this kind of collaboration. And they also have, sometimes they also have the opportunity to teach, but it's just like a very different style, right? So this is another type of position. And also, of course, uh, like lecturer or like teaching uh, positions. So um, some students are actually very interested in these positions because they're more interested in like teaching compared to re doing research. So you can find this kind of position in some of the uh, universities, but not a lot, to be honest. Yeah, but there's definitely like this, uh, this option. Uh, and uh, for some other positions, uh, sometimes they like, uh, some programs will um, want to hire people who can help uh, the faculty from other departments in their school, like maybe school public health or school medicine to write grants. Mm -hmm. So this is another type of position. Um, yeah, so if you, before you apply for the positions, you can read carefully, uh, like what's, what are the re responsibilities? So there are all kinds of like, um, like options there. So this is academia. Uh, also, um, I may have to cover like, so these are mainly like in, in like, uh, universities, but there are also like some other research institutes, but now they also call them faculty positions. So it's basically mm -hmm. similar. Yeah, but maybe like, for example, for some cancer centers, they probably they will mainly focus on cancer related research, but still you can work on your own uh, research. It's not necessarily, uh, necessarily related to cancer, but still they require that a, definitely a part of your research has to be related. Yeah, so that kind of position. So uh, in terms of industry, I'm not very familiar with uh, because I only like did interns internships mm -hmm. there's uh, also only in pharmaceutical and insurance industries so I can only give my opinion my own opinion on, on these two industries so I think like because I interned at uh, Liberty Mutual so I guess um, my research project like it's like a research project so it's not like their uh, routine work I think what I remember was um it's it's more like a, like uh, developing different like statistical models and uh, maybe machine learning algorithms, uh, mostly like for pre predicting like maybe uh, I don't like claims and stuff. So and and then like you provide these models and algorithms to them, and then like some they, they will decide which one they want to use depending on the specific problems. 
So this is kind of like what they do in their everyday life. But um, yeah, so uh, I mean, like for both master's and PhD posi uh, uh, position, it's, it is like that. But maybe um, for the master's uh, like students, they probably will work more on um, maybe coding. And for PhD positions, they will work more on like maybe algorithm development. Yeah. So for pharmaceutical industry, I guess um, since I worked, I, I just worked on the, like a, like two research projects. So I didn't actually work with clinicians, but I mean like maybe uh, if you actually work, it depends on which group you're in. So if you're in the research group, you can still do this, like publish papers and kind of like do consulting, like a uh, thing with like for uh, people from other divisions. But if you're in the clinical group, um, I think you usually like the biostatisticians, I mean like PhD level biostatisticians will lead a project like or like a lead a, um, a trial. Uh, and like bio, like semester level biostatisticians will, I don't even remember if they call it that, but yeah, so they, but they, um, usually they will, um, maybe, uh, still like, uh, do, do coding and th this type of support, but they don't actually lead any project. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I guess it's just like a different types of job you can do. Uh, so I guess, uh, one thing I want to say is if you're interested in having a career in biostatistics, it's definitely a good field to work in because um, there are all kinds of things you can do. Um, also, there are a lot of job openings and the, and like in terms of salary, it's very good. Um, also, the work-life balance is not, uh, is, is very good compared to a lot of other industries. Um, yeah, yeah. So I guess this is the thing I want to share. <laughs> well, that's definitely very valuable. Oh, I'm yeah. Thinking... One more thing. Yeah. Sorry. One oh, more yeah. thing is, uh, no matter what, what kind of like jobs you want to have in like in the future after your training, the the training like the the like the training period is not super long. It's relatively short compared to a lot of other fields. Um, yeah. So like for example, if you uh, want to graduate after a master's program, it's only like two year. And if you want to do a PhD, then for, because for some other fields like uh, math or <laughs> physics, you probably will, it depends. Like sometimes you will uh, have to do like a seven year PhD, but for biostatics, usually four to five years. So it's not long at all. Also, if you want to find a faculty position, it does, it's not necessarily like you need to have a postdoc experience. So I, I actually know a lot of people who uh, actually like uh, are able to find a faculty position after their PhD uh, training. So it's only like a, yeah, so it's only like a few, like five, five to six years of training. So also, even if you do a postdoc, usually one postdoc is enough. It's not like, because I, I know like for, like, for example, theoretical physics, a lot of times you need to do more than two postdocs before you can find a faculty position. So I guess mm -hmm. uh, this field, yeah, I, I just, want to mention this because it doesn't require a super long training period. Um, also, um, I just think it's it's awesome because I'm not talking about the, the, the training. I'm talking about like this field is awesome because you can actually feel the impact you can make on like everyday people's everyday life, <laughs> like right. related to public health and medicine. Um, this, the problems in these fields are always important. So there's always a need 
to have new people working in this field. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're interested in this field, definitely. This is a very good uh, field to work in. Yeah. Oh, I'm very interested. And um, thank you for the information. And <laughs> yes. that's definitely very useful because I think as a student, at least for me, I don't get a lot of exposure on in terms of what's what sort of uh, positions do I have in different, uh, I guess, different mm -hmm. industries or different places. Um, so yeah. it's definitely very important to know. Yeah, so I guess one thing I want to mention is um, it's like doing a PhD in biostatistics is actually relatively easy compared to a lot of other fields. So mm -hmm. also you can you can have like you can do like one or two intern uh, intern you can have one or two internships during your PhD training. So mm -hmm. like th these internships are also important because if you can find one, you try to find try to do an in internship because this is very helpful. Like no matter if it makes you feel you want to work in industry more or in academia more. You always like have this opportunity to actually compare, uh, like working academia and working industry. Industry, um, yeah. So also in terms of like uh, positions in academia, there's always. I, I mean, like the number of positions is a lot more compared to math, statistics, the other fields. Also, although it's hard, it gets harder and harder. It's always like a lot easier to get a faculty position compared to the other fields. So I mean, like, um, I guess in general, um, you have a lot of opportunities and um, to 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 actually find like good um, jobs. Uh, yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, that's very good to know from a practical mm -hmm. point of view. Thank you so much. <laughs> no problem. Um, I learned a lot, a lot from talking to you and thank Great. you for being at this biostatistics bio podcast. Yeah, thank you very much for this interview. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you in the next episode.